0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to
1: emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something.
0: Welcome listeners to this edition of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch and with me, camcorder in hand, ready to escape from gigantic statue decapitating creatures, is my best friend and co-host Aaron.
1: It's 2022, Patrick, so cell phone camera in hand. This is better than a camcorder could be right now. So I've got my cell this phone. Is true. This is true. And uh and a backup battery in my backpack too. So we'll be okay for okay. a little while. We don't even
0: have to loot any stores. Okay, well that's good. I mean we definitely don't want to do that and survival obviously is the top priority. So as long as we have a capable camera in hand, we're good to go. Well, this week we wanted to cover a disaster movie. And since Moonfall didn't quite do it for us, we reached out to our loyal listeners on social media and you all suggested 2008 Cloverfield as a great choice, it's definitely a favorite of ours. And we were excited to get into that discussion. So consider this your spoiler warning. We're going to be talking in depth about the movie. You can find it on HBO max as of this recording also in any of your fine streaming services and in your local Best Buy apparently, because they still have DVDs so that's good stuff (laughs) all right let's get things rolling with your first experience with this movie just to set a primer obviously this is not our first time watching this aaron did you see this in the theaters or do you remember seeing this in the theaters
1: i don't remember seeing it in theaters so i actually wonder i was trying to think about when this came out and i was not deployed but if it came out over the summer of 2008 do you happen to recall when it released that year it was i uh, don't
0: i i think it was summer or spring when it came out
1: that's a 50 percent chance good good job there
0: um one of the seasons right anyway
1: i was pretty busy over the summer that year because i was being inducted as a navy chief petty officer and so my in fact my whole year from about 2007 until the end of 2008 was pretty incredibly busy. And I don't know that I saw anything in a the theater over that period of time. I can't recall much that I did. And I don't remember this. And I feel like it's the kind of movie that you don't forget if you see it on a big screen. And I was thinking to myself while watching it just this last time that, you know, it would have been a really neat experience. And I was actually reading back about other people's experiences and how different theaters handled their seizure warnings for the handy cam and the flashing lights and the things that you have to deal with for a good portion of the runtime of this. Some of them would put up a little poster outside the theater that would explain, hey, some of them would actually come in and announce it before the movie started, which is really cool. And I love that theaters have over the last decade or so really kind of started to do that more and more. But yeah, anyway, I don't remember seeing it in a theater. I do remember obviously seeing it, and I loved it the first time around. I thought it was really great as far as being unique and kind of a different take on the monster film and different way of filming it. So I've always enjoyed it, but I haven't rewatched it a lot, and this was the first time I think I've revisited it in a a lot of years. I, I can't even remember the last time I had seen it. So I remembered the overall plot, because luckily it's fairly simple (laughs) and straightforward. But some of the details in there, I had not remembered, like what happens to Marlena in the middle of the film. And I didn't remember that there were crawlers that came off of Clover either. That was kind of shocking to me. I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Um, So I'd forgotten completely about that. But yeah, I've always loved it because I'm an Abrams guy and a Drew Goddard guy. And now I'm a Matt Reeves guy, so it works out really well.
0: That's definitely a trifecta of creative talent there. And when I went to see this in the theaters, it was actually a January release. I had to look it up to find out. I remember the trailer for it, and I remember it getting a lot of buzz and thinking, hey, J.J. Abrams, mystery box. It's going to be alias and lost all roll into one. And this was really honestly before I got to appreciate Abrams and his storytelling style the way in which he crafts his plots and things like that i knew about him i had watched a little bit of alias was familiar with lost so i had some kind of way of understanding what i was experiencing with the trailer i remember not liking the movie because of the fact that i wasn't big on the godzilla monster movie type thing and the shaky cam all that stuff was not necessarily what was appealing to me. This was the same year that I believe the Born Supremacy came out, the second of the trilogy. And I remember it being the same thing where you had this whole, all right, I can't keep up with everything that's happening here because the camera is just going crazy. So after the fact, I watched it again, probably two years later, getting more education. In the Abrams verse and remembered enjoying it a lot more so giving it context and especially with 10 Cloverfield Lane sort of coming behind it it gave me more appreciation for what it was and what was happening and so watching it this time for the podcast it was absolutely a a great movie there was so much about it we're living in a post the last of us world so there's obviously references that we make by comparing it to that so It's interesting when you have context and history going back to a movie that you can kind of attach to other things to a creator to a video game in this case not directly but indirectly it makes the experience a lot more fun so i can look at some of these creatures and i'm like oh great look it's clickers it's like a distant cousin of a clicker because i appreciate the last of us so i love being able to watch my experience sort of grow with things like this and you know, you grow with an appreciation of film in general. There's so much technical greatness happening in here for an 80 minute ride. You had clever ways that the camera was shooting because of the handhelds. You had the Jaws effect where you get the creature on the screen for maybe two, two and a half minutes of the 80 minutes. So a lot of what you're experiencing is character driven and set piece driven. You never know what's going to happen next and and we go a lot of places i mean we're in new york for sure but we hit a lot of different iconic places which i think is pretty amazing kind of reminds me of ghostbusters where you've got a director who's like i want to pay a little tribute to this fair city by destroying parts of it and so when we get into the streets it goes beyond just one room or one building or one area of town and it was really cool to be able to kind of say oh yeah yeah I like what you did there this is good stuff and i like the fact that it doesn't draw out like it tells a story you're in and out and for me it's a really solid monster movie more than anything else which is kind of difficult to do these days you want to kind of take advantage of cgi and bloat the the bad villain of whoever it is the monster but this felt very much like what i think it wanted to be which was sort of a modern-day Godzilla for a U.S. audience. And Matt Reeves and company, they did a fantastic job. I thought Goddard's screenplay was great. And Abrams at the helm kind of taking the uh, executive producer role, I think, was, uh, was a great move. So those three, you know, I'd love to see another collaborative thing come out of their collective brain, see what that comes up with. This movie obviously leans into the found footage genre. Would that be a genre that we'd be calling it? Or I maybe a style. Think a so. Style. I think
1: it's like it's like animation. It's a style okay. of story yeah, a style. Telling, so we we'll call it yeah. a genre.
0: Yeah. Obviously, found footage became real big with the Blair Witch Project, but they can be very hit or miss depending on a number of factors like story, camera usage, and cinematography. This one definitely leans into that whole found footage from the very beginning. We get this exposition where this is quite literally a found videotape and we're just watching it play out um does the style for you enhance the cloverfield story or do you think it could have worked as a standard feature like something like independence day
1: i think it the the comparison throws me off because there's zero humor in this movie it's not like (laughs) even though you have a comedian behind the camera in tj miller i mean he's got you know kind of Typical humor that you might hear in a true real life terrorizing situation, but not like quippy kind of Independence Day Roland Emmerich humor. But yeah,
0: I was comparing more to the the alien invasion type thing. Yeah, yeah, I figured
1: that. (laughs) You know, I actually would be interested in seeing Independence Day something styled like this, and there may be something kind of like that. I can't remember if the Skyline series has a little bit of handycam to it. I think it might, but anywho, the question, yes, I like the style, and I think it works great for this, and I was recalling, as I was revisiting it, how I feel like people talk about this movie all the time, and they say, well, it's so great because they don't show the monster. I was surprised at how much they showed the monster. Clover's not, like, invisible for the whole movie. Now, not there a whole bunch, but there are definite, full-on... Body shots of the monster terrorizing the streets, and of course, the big time lashed final shot of it, where it's face to face with the camera, which was a hot debated topic by the way. maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later, but for me, the Shaky cam, I think, is what makes this unique and what makes it special and so for me, that's kind of how this movie elevates itself into that top tier of films for me in my know rankings or whatever you want to call them is because it does something different than other movies do and the way it gets on that ground level it doesn't work for everything i guess is where i'm kind of going for this is if we saw this all the time patrick it wouldn't be effective it's effective because it's special blair witch did it first blair witch was special i've heard that there are a couple of wreck movies that do this REC in the horror genre that are okay, you know, one of the paranormal activity movies was okay, but the vast majority of the copycats, it doesn't work out. So it really does kind of, you need to get lightning in a bottle. And so I don't think just redoing this over and over would work out. But being able to have the storytellers that we do and Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams, who'd worked together previously on Felicity, being able to take the human relationships and put those center at the beginning of the film and let you get to know these characters and give you a reason to feel like you're relating to them as they're going through this experience then it makes the camera work to me become effective i think if you didn't know that if you didn't have enough of the development and connection to the people, then it wouldn't be nearly as able to digest that sort of handicap. But I find it so fascinating now on a technical level, because I was watching a bunch of the special features, and I listened to the director's commentary. And one of the things that stood out to me was Matt Reeves continued talking about how it was very difficult when they were talking to the camera operators, including TJ, who did a lot of filming himself as both an actor of HUD, which you made a great joke about how his name is Heads Up Display and he's the guy behind the camera. I don't know if that was so intentional. Good. I love but that. But man, it so good. I, I'm going to believe it's intentional from now on. Maybe I'll tweet Matt Rees and see if he answers me. But the um, fact that he's behind the camera for some of it, but actually all the normal camera operators, right? He was talking about how. Trying to get them to understand, I want you to film this poorly, and I want you to be out of focus, and I want you to be all over the place, and I want you to miss things. So, something may be actually happening in the frame, and I want you to not catch it. I want you to be off to the side occasionally as if it was an accident, and how very difficult that is for a professional in a field who would normally get fired for filming in that way. Like that, their whole world is built around being exceptional at their job and you're asking them to be the opposite intentionally. And I just, I thought about that and how, you know, it would almost be like asking a baseball player or an athlete of any kind to kind of throw the game, right? Just go out there and as a basketball player and just shoot a bunch of bricks, do not put the ball in the hoop. And it would feel for it even if you could do it because you were skilled enough to understand the concept and they did a great job of it, it took lots and lots of takes to get this right. And I think that the detail that Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams brought to the filming style, it's not chaotic for chaotic's sake, Patrick. It was very specific and very intentional. There are shots where they move the camera down to tj's feet running but like that is purposeful they're they don't do it all the time but they're trying to give you the sense of hey in a real life situation this is what's going to happen at some point there's shots where again the monster something is happening off screen and we just know that the characters are looking at it but the camera's never moving there because if you're filming something in real life your eyes and your hand don't necessarily go to the same position right and so there's all those details within the context of how this gets shot that I think work so, so well. And you know, and just the hook narratively of how the idea behind this is what would happen in a world where we all have cell phones or video camera footage if a monster attack occurred. And we get this one perspective of this one group of people that went through this experience They actually took care to film shots where at various points in the running around the city trying to survive, they would capture other people in the city also shooting the footage.
0: Yeah. The reason
1: being that they're expressing like there should be hundreds of thousands of other examples of this out in the world one of our friends actually just commented on my letterbox review of this where i was talking about the director's commentary and that very thing and i wanted to add this because it was a great piece of information he said relating to other people filming things he said there's an interview where Reeves specifically said that he thought a neat sequel idea would have been to show one of the other guys we saw filming and his perspective of the event and that maybe that reveals pieces of information that we don't get in this movie. Like, right, right. why do you explode if the crawler bites you? And, and like, there's a lot of questions. Was there more than one monster in New York? There's a theory out there that there's a different tail in one of the scenes. It's not quite, doesn't look like clovers. So maybe there's a multiple monster scenario here, which, you know, it could very well be the case. And maybe that's what you see from somebody else's perspective, but this is not supposed to be an end-all be-all storytelling, capturing of an event as a historical narrative. It's just supposed to be a, this is what some people went through in a really awful situation. And it's fun for us to be kind of scared by it and excited by it because it's a monster movie. And then there's emotion behind it because we care about the people before the end. And we genuinely don't like it when they bite the dust so yeah. the the style works for me like hook line and sinker man
0: yeah it works for me too and part of what you said i latch on to you you have you have to have some kind of hook that hook is either character driven it's either mythology driven those two things specifically i think are what make this style work pretty well or a unique way to use your camera so when you look at the Blair Witch Project, that's mythology driven. It's about this mystery in the woods and these kids go out and discover it. I don't care about any of them necessarily on an emotional level. What I care about is what the crap is happening (laughs) that we can't see. And it's all driven by other sensory components, like what you hear, not what you smell necessarily. That'd be kind of cool though. You know, do the Blair Witch Project with, multi-sensory inputs that'd be kind of cool but then you get to cloverfield and it wouldn't make a lot of sense or wouldn't feel as impactful or as immersive if we didn't get those opening scenes if we didn't get the party and we didn't get the dialogue setting up these personality types these connections so as the movie takes place we are now on this adventure trying to get these guys reunited. We want to get to her. And by the end of the movie, I'm not really rooting for their survival. I'm rooting for their connectivity. I'm rooting to make sure that are they going to be able to be together and really complete or come to a emotional conclusion to their relationship. And they do. So to me, that feels like a, a satisfying, albeit not necessarily complete, ending but i think part of that Aaron is because of the fact that you've got a little bit of mythology where does this alien come from is it an alien what kind of monster is it what's it doing there this is weird you've got this party happening and then suddenly new york gets invaded and as you said it's really just a pocket adventure it's not necessarily like oh my gosh what else is happening in around the world is this is this happening all over the place like arrival You know, we get that in Arrival. We get the global impact that an alien invasion has. But here is that sort of friendly neighborhood Spider-Man adventure where we're in New York for an hour and a half. And coincidentally, the 80 minutes that the movie takes place lines up with the amount of time that would be on that kind of tape that they're using in their, their video camera, that extended mini- cassette or whatever it was. So being able to watch it that way and really experience it as a character-driven story as opposed to a let's figure out more about the monster, when you can lean into that as opposed to the other thing, that makes it more appealing. Now, I think the first time watch for me, what I didn't like about it was that I was leaning more into the mythology. I was asking all these questions about, well, where did the monster come from? Or what was his purpose? And I felt a little cheated, instead of realizing that's not what Reeves and company are trying to do, they're telling a survival story. They're trying to get from point A to point B, and they're throwing a bunch of emotion into it where you're connected to these individual characters, whether by humor or by sadness or by grief or by shock. And that's what sells me on the movie now because I can fall into that category. Something like Lost, I think, is a great primer for this because you've got both you've got character driven stories you've got myth mythology of the island and landing that plane pun intended is one of the things that was difficult for that show to do because you had to potentially pay off both things and by the end of the series the creators decided to pay off one of those two and so for an 80 minute feature i think being able to spend a lot of time with these characters gives me enough information to say this is the important part and the monster is really just bonus at that point. Speaking of the cast, I want to talk a little bit about the chemistry of the casting. I was reading on IMDB about the way in which Reeves decided to direct each of these characters. He had mentioned that he once wanted them to just spend a lot of time together because as they were going through this whole thing, he wanted their reactions to feel as though their friends were in trouble that they weren't just actors reacting to each other, and I thought that was really cool because when you watch them interact with one another and how amazing it is that they are responding like we do to these jump scare moments, like, "Oh my gosh, what these explosions, knowing that they're not really there or that they're beating up green screen crew members as you know replacing the the little minions of the of the monster to see how they react and interact with one another is such an incredible thing because that's something we don't get with blair Witch. we get these three guys that are or three people that are going on this adventure to try to figure out this mystery having these characters spend time with one another really did feel like they had been friends for years that they were college buddies or young adults uh, or young singles The party, I think, was so significant because we got to see tension between some of these characters that we'd never gotten a chance to hang out with. And so we got to be able to build from these little context clues. Oh, there's some history here, or this person clearly doesn't like this person, or that person's probably a closet drunk. (laughs) These little things that that party reveals so much of. And I thought that was a really smart thing for Reeves to do in order to create that organic feel because they were going to be spending all this time together and they were going to really be on the run uh, particularly those four it was just really fantastic
1: yeah i would agree i think that also part of that is not having superstars in your movie and there is a value in casting people that feel right for these roles that don't bring with them a set of expectations or pre-knowledge of other character styles that they've played. I went looking for some of these actors to see, man, what have they done other than this? And most of them have not really done anything. I mean, I think TJ Miller's the biggest name of them. And even he hasn't done a ton of acting stuff and he's been canceled since for whatever reasons. I think, and and, it hasn't acted in a while too, but you know, like it's not a bunch of stars. It's not any stars. And that's, it it could be so different, Patrick, so different. And I mean, you don't even have to have like a Leonardo DiCaprio running through the streets, but you know, put a B level celebrity or something, maybe even a C plus somebody like a Charlie Hunnam or, you know, somebody in there that's younger and, but somebody you recognize and it instantly changes I think, the way in which this movie goes down. Put Josh Jackson in it or, you know, somebody else. And you're just, you're immediately changed in the way that you approach it. And so instead, I was able to be like, for all I know, these are real people. Legitimately, like, (laughs) just playing themselves. And it felt like that. I, I can't imagine the difficulty in shooting a movie like this just from an acting standpoint, it would be challenging to just, you're always acting at the camera in theory anyway, but you're so frequently able to play off of another person and to be just legitimately like zoomed in doing constant kind of monologues into a camera with another person. And then it not being the style of solo filming that people are used to. So when normally when you have a a person who is acting in a movie and they're, you know, the only character on screen, they are reflecting, narrating, having a speech of some kind. They're not aware of like constant surroundings because they're not supposed to be talking into a camera, <laughs> you know, like the camera is watching a full scene of them doing something else but in this case, they're literally talking to the camera. And so to me, it's just so interesting to see when their eyes are constantly shifting left to right. They're acting as if these things are happening around them, Patrick. And when you watch the special features and you see how much green screen is in this, now they do do a good job of having like practical sets mixed with the green screen, which I think helps a lot, but you know, like rubble's not really falling on them, but they're like you know, crunching and flinching and like dodging and twisting their heads and all as if they're really talking that camera. I don't know. I just think it's really good, strong acting work across the board um, because it doesn't feel like acting work to me. Mm -hmm. It it truly felt to me found footage. And there's so many of these movies that don't. That's part of why I love Blair Witch Project and why it's a superb favorite of mine as well Mm -hmm. is because I buy it. I buy it as literal found footage. There's other movies like Paranormal Activity that I think are cool to watch in that style, but I know they're a movie. I know that it was filmed in that style versus this one. Legitimately, to me, I think I could walk into a random video store and just stumble upon it on accident or something. Like, you know, it got discovered and dropped off because nobody knew what to do with this old VHS cassette tape or something. And so I think that the cast does a great job of doing that. And TJ Miller in particular. For me, it's his best live-action performance. He and his comedy can be very cringy. You mentioned in our chat earlier privately about how he kind of has that Ryan Reynolds vibe, which I agree, which is also why he and Ryan Reynolds are together in the Deadpool movies. And if you write him in that kind of vulgar comedy way, he can do it and do it effectively, but they didn't do that. They really toned him down. And I liked him a lot in this, toned down manner he's still just on the border of like being unhinged and he's still like each character has a little bit of that unique personality like you kind of wonder like he's a little bit annoying to everybody but yet you can also understand why he would be rob's best friend he's not it's not it's not a complete like crazy thing he's not like a jerk to people he's just not the kind of, like he's, you know, when he's pressuring Marlena to give her the testimony because he's wanting to hit on her, you know, right. and she's like, no, I don't know this guy. And he's like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. Totally cool. We'll just do a short one. You know, like that's the kind of thing that women are like, get angry about internally <laughs> and are like, get away from me, dude. Back up off me. But he's not cringy to the point of, he's not a stalker. He's not going to hurt her. He doesn't want to abuse people. You know what I mean? And I like, That kind of character. He's not perfect. Uh, But to the point where when he gets killed, like, I genuinely want him to make it, you know? And I love just the way that we get to see a little bit about Rob and crap, 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 crap. Not Lily, not Lily, the other one. Oh, oh, help me. Beth, Beth, Rob and Beth with the pre knowledge that, like, okay, something has happened. And For me, Patrick, that's what really sucks me into this story, I think, on another level as well, is that, yes, we're experiencing a monster movie, because that's what they went into this to make. Abrams, Reeves, Goddard, like they were like, listen, we love these, and we want to make one. But this is a love story as well. It's about a person who has an hour left of their life, potentially less. They're in a crisis situation. What do you think about? Well you think about the things that you haven't done, right? And what do you need to get off your chest? What do you need to do? And he knows he's made a mistake, so I gotta go find Beth. At whatever cost, that's my desire. And I feel like it's so natural to most people, like that would be me. I also was thinking about pets when I was watching it. (laughs) Like granted, my dog was like sleeping on me at the time. And so that was kind of like amplifying this feeling. But I I was like, there are, hundreds of thousands of pets in New York that people were just running away and leaving in their homes, I'm sure I would literally go back and get my dog. I I would do a, what Rob does to go get Beth. I would do that probably to go get my puppy. Mm -hmm. Not even kidding. I think that that is my DNA. I'd love to say, oh, I wouldn't, but I have enough history in crisis situations to find that I act differently than I think. And I think I might. And so I really do believe that I probably would just naturally, the, the switch would flip and I would just go try, you know? And I think that there's something somewhat romantic about that, you know, no matter w- how tragic it ends up, of course, just knowing that you're going to risk it all in those final moments that you may have for the sake of love. And that, that that's in this movie. It's in this movie about a whole city being destroyed by a kaiju which is cool.
0: (laughs) Well, and this movie is one of those stories that is more than just survival. It's about meaning and about emotional connection as you're hinting toward, whether it's to a pet or to a spouse or to a loved one of some kind. And I like that Abrams and Reeves and Goddard are not, they're unapologetic about that approach there was a piece of trivia that talked about the absence of older people or children in this movie. And part of it, the theory is that practically speaking, kids are harder to direct. They would probably spoil some of the marketing that was coming out. And also they cost more to shoot at night. Tom Holland, of fact-
1: especially. This is a movie <laughs> that would have had Tom Holland and he would have ruined it all, sorry.
0: Right, right. <laughs> But the cast itself, I completely agree that having, quote, no names, or at least no name yet (laughs) at this point, was a great choice. Because they were all capable of holding their own. They all did a fantastic job. And several of them have gone on to be kind of staple television folks. Uh, Ben Feldman, who plays Travis, Beth's boyfriend at the party, who Rob says um, something like, I hope you have a good last night with her or "or good luck with her, <laughs> that, that crack that he regrets making. He went on to do Superstore as the main, one of the main characters in that series. He was fantastic and a great comedic actor. Mike Vogel, Under the Dome. Even uh, Michael Stahl David, who played Rob, has gone on to do several television series. So a lot of these guys, they're obviously great actors. And to find them in a position where that strategic way of putting not so famous yet actors in these roles, what I think it does is along with that found footage approach, it grounds these characters and makes you feel like, you know, them like you are friends with them. Like you'd hang out at this party with them. Not that you'd necessarily be HUD, (laughs) but you know a HUD. There's always that guy or that person in your life who's gonna say something that's kind of socially awkward and you're like, yeah, you just have to know him a little bit better. I think this was actually T.J. Miller's first theatrical role too, so getting him to act a certain way was probably easier than it would be today (laughs) where he's got a little bit more staying power. But I like that reserve approach with him. I like the fact that he is really sort of the comedic break in the movie where he'll say something that you're like, that's completely awkward. And I can kind of chuckle here and there, that whole bit down in the subway where he starts talking about homeless people being set on fire. The one of the best lines in that scene is where he tells that story and everybody's like, Hey, not the best time to talk about something like this. Yeah, 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 you're right. And there's like a beat of three or four seconds. And he says, wouldn't that be crazy if one of them just kind of ran out in front of us or whatever. And like, God, dude, hide, stop. So it's like, he doesn't know, when to stop and of course that is echoed earlier on in the movie when he's he's hitting on Marlena trying to get her to <laughs> go on a date with him and it's it's a lot of fun because he doesn't dominate the scenes none of these characters dominate the scenes that they're in and while yes this ultimately comes down to Rob who is trying to get to Beth it's not necessarily just their story so when Marlena dies by explosion. <laughs> and when HUD
1: dies by decapitation, he gets cut in half, I think. <laughs> he gets eaten. No, he gets, he gets eaten. He gets so eaten. they specifically okay. said, I was going to point out this. This is one of the things from the commentary, since you just brought it up. That shot, Drew Goddard fought for that shot more than anything else in the movie. Having that monster close up attack, there was a big argument about. How they were going to shoot it and whether they should get that, you know, much of a view of the monster. And he was like, no, because this is a monster movie and it's supposed to be fun and it's not fun unless somebody gets eaten. And so they they were like, they had to have somebody get eaten and it was perfect. I think it was executed perfectly. Anyway, Mm -hmm. that's the backstory of how HUD dies. Man. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I would
0: follow Goddard in that regard. Like, yes. That's probably my favorite shot of the movie is that long stare down and then the attack. I thought it was perfect. Let's talk a little bit about Clover. As you mentioned, Clover is the name of the monster, eloquently named by the crew, I guess, or the folks. My mind was
1: blown by this factoid today. I know it's been out (laughs) on the Internet for a while, but yeah, I did not know the monster had a name.
0: Yeah, I think a while back in one of our Patreon bonus episodes we did a top five monsters and I don't know if the I don't know if Clover came up in that conversation. But I think retroactively I would put him, her, it as her. one of my her as how can okay, I'm not gonna even no I so not know. during the I'm not going to even ask because I
1: paused and looked, Patrick. Um, No, that's really (laughs) weird. (laughs) No, listen, (laughs) during the production of this, the director's commentary stuff, like they were talking about how. And I don't know if this is like production notes that they just had for themselves. I'm guessing it is. This isn't explained in the lore anywhere i actually watched a really long 20 minute long really long 20 minute really nice thorough 20 minute video about the history of the ar marketing and stuff and it explained all of this and this was not something that came up but i did hear in the director's commentary there's a point where he said something about how it's essentially like clover is this it's a baby it's a kid and it's looking for its mom so it's not actually terrorizing the city because it wants to destroy the city it's trying to get back home and find safety and that is why it's lashing out it's not like actively just trying to be a monster and i was like wow that's like nowhere in the narrative at all anyway that's how i know it's a girl because they refer to it as a feminine
0: okay it's not like jurassic park where (laughs) you you look up their skirts like no (laughs) no 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 no. (laughs) okay well regardless of gender whatever sex this this creature is i love the design and i think that without that shot that goddard fought for i wouldn't have appreciated this monster as much as i do i think it's sleek i think it is absolutely the way it moves is so i won't call it like elegant but it it almost, if you if you know that backstory about it being a child, it definitely moves somewhat clumsily through the city. It's got these buildings that it's running into. But I think that more than anything, being able to see it was a great payoff. Would the movie be just as good without seeing it? I don't know, because again, you'd have to really, really focus in on these characters. But I think we get just enough of seeing it and interacting with it, especially that helicopter scene where HUD feels like they're out of the the zone of being attacked. And he's like, yeah, it's gonna be great. And then nope, that monster just comes right up and takes down the helicopter. It shows a lot of dominance, it shows essentially the arrogance of people, especially the military, which is definitely a character trait of some of the old school monster movies. So if that's what abrams and company were going for i thought they really hit it out of the park by creating this monster that really kind of put human humanity in its place or at least new yorkers in this case but probably representing humanity
1: yeah i'm with you like i said earlier about how it's shown way more than i remembered it being shown i enjoyed the heck out of that like getting to see in the i think it's revealed perfectly is I keep using the word perfect. I felt like this movie was perfect this time around. The pacing, the way in which all the information is given to us. We first get it surprising. We see nothing but the remnants of the destruction. And then we see like kind of a tail fly, you know, kind of whip behind a building and and go into a smoke cloud, which is terrifying, right? Like that's what you want. And we get a couple of shots like that until there are some pullbacks where they come around a corner of a street and there is clover and there's a big, you know, attack scene and then and then they're gone quickly. And then we see it happen again where they come upon clover and then that's when in that interaction we get the craw- crawlers coming off of it, right? And it's like, okay, now there's a new element to this constantly being exposed. And the way in which the monster moves, I watched a featurette about it and how You know these are the things that these artists spend days and days and days of time pouring over the mechanics of how they want it to you know flow and feel differently and for us it's seconds of screen time potentially right one little movement of a monster and they're spending an entire job that they're doing in this movie of just getting that to be perfect in the way that they want it to be. And it works great. I think that he moves uniquely and differently. It's very much not a Godzilla. It looks very cool. I agree with you. We should have probably had it on there. It's got like some glowing pods, which I'm guessing is where those crawlers burst out of or something like I, there's all sorts of like neat little elements in the mythology of this thing that we don't know. That's another part. It's like, it's all still a mystery. Two Cloverfield movies later, we didn't get traditional sequels, so we don't know more about Clover and this monster. It's all speculation, which I think is kind of, again, in that unique category. It elevates it simply because it allows us to have questions and to wonder and to make up theories. And we live in a day and age where that's not how things work, Patrick. Everything is about giving us answers and telling us all the details, or putting us on a path that will constantly ask a question, reveal the answer, ask a question, reveal the answer, but nothing ever just wants to, quote, leave us hanging. Cloverfield left us hanging with their monster design, and I think that that's really fascinating, and then that last shot, I I agree with you, you know, getting that stare down is just, it's, Really, really scary on a big screen TV. I wish I could have seen this in a theater. If it ever was to be re released, I think I would. It's,
0: it's a money shot for sure. <laughs> make
1: a high priority to go see it in like IMAX or whatever I could. You know, maybe this will be one that I rent a theater out someday and go have them use my 4K because they can do that now and watch this movie in a theater. Because I imagine it would be pretty incredible experience, just immersive sound. All around you, I listened to a my surround sound and got some of that as well. Just the crumbling and the the screeching that's kind of out of the corner of your ear. You don't know which street or which angle it's coming from. you're just scared out of your wits, and yeah anyway i I think the design and the monster clover clover, as I will now it's such a it's such a calm, like gentle girl's name it's that's part of the funny thing about it like it's not scary you know godzilla like lord of the lizards is what you know that is referencing Mm -hmm. this is a freaking little tiny piece of a flower or or a piece (laughs) of grass you know like what in the world it's so funny
0: yeah well with those gaps needing to be filled in as humans we want to fill in those theoretical gaps like where did this creature come from Obviously, it spawned a bunch of fan theories. I was sort of online doing a little bit more research for this podcast with regard to that. And one of the things I ran across was that, I don't know if you noticed this, but about at the Ferris wheel scene at the end of the movie, where we cut back to the original tape at the end of the day. If you look out, you see the Bay or the Pacific Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) It's Cape Cod you see something fall from the sky, which I'm like, wait, what? And there's a fan theory out there that this creature was actually created in the depths of the ocean, similar to how HUD made the reference to that creature from Madagascar that we thought was extinct, people thought, the scientists thought were extinct, and somehow it had been living in the depths of the ocean for years and years and years, which I thought was a kind of a cool little fan theory that it didn't come from another planet. Regardless, it's a monster that we don't know a lot about, and it creates such a great mystery to to solve. And that's part of what I think makes Abrams Mystery Box approach appealing, not necessarily successful all the time, but definitely appealing. And one of the things that Abrams does really well is crafting a universe around an idea. And the marketing for this is what I remember equally as much as the movie itself. So I want to talk a little bit about the marketing blitz that happened because I think in a day of social media and the internet, the viewer experience of a franchise, an IP of a universe on the big screen is enhanced so much more when you can attach tangibility to it. And so I want to call out a couple of cool things. So in the TV series world, Lost, you have the Dharma Initiative, one of these elements of the TV series that spawned a website that you could actually look and find bios of scientists that are mentioned in the TV series. Jurassic World, when it released, there was an actual website for the theme park. And up until the day of release, you could, one of the features is that you could look at park cams so you could see like where the staff, What? <laughs> that <Yes. is> really... <laughs> if you do a Google search, you can still find an archived version of it. it's pretty fantastic, but you can check out the different parts of the park, the Isla Nublar ferry, there's a camera on the ferry. And then after the movie released the website changed and now you have half the cameras that aren't working. You have, Oh, that's uh, brilliant. Working. It's great. Planet of the Apes, same thing. There is a, or, I think it's Rise of the Planet. Yeah, the, the updated version. There is or was a website dedicated to research for the disease that is featured in the movie. And it's along the same lines of like, get your COVID shot and this kind of public awareness. Aaron, I think these things are so incredibly creative because just like the found footage, they bring us into this world that doesn't exist. And they help us get into a place where we're like, wow, this could actually exist. And I actually want to experience a part of this. Like, I don't want to experience Jurassic World after the the dinosaurs have taken over. But I do think there's something amazing about the fact that you're not just going to experience an 80, 80 minute movie, you're actually getting this backstory, and you're doing all these things that sort of lead up to it. I think there were multiple websites that were dedicated to this movie that focused in on a couple of different characters. When MySpace was really big, I think all the main characters had MySpace pages, and they all stopped talking, or they stopped messaging, or stopped their activity stopped, like on January 18th when the movie released. And it's such a great way to add to that narrative that you are more of a participant and less of a spectator at that point even fringe the tv series that abrams was behind did the same thing there is a scientific research center that had its own website i actually applied for a job on that website because there was a place you could apply for a job never got a call back and i felt pretty bad i was like i thought i was qualified but apparently not but again that participation and that connectivity to these events i think add to the enjoyment of these stories that we are are getting immersed it's like choose your own adventure only we don't get to choose anything but we do get to be a part of that in some way shape or form
1: yes i have an interesting relationship with this sort of stuff i'm sitting here nodding and grinning as you're talking about it and i was having my mind blown by that 20 minute youtube video i watched on cloverfield's explanation earlier Maybe I'll try and link that in the show notes for anyone who wants to see it because I highly recommend it. But yet, I'm not the kind of person that has any interest in doing this myself in real time. So I'm not a sleuth who wants to put the clues together. But I love retroactively seeing how it played out and knowing that it's kind of going on in the meantime. So with Cloverfield, it actually was a whole slew of things from the websites there is a company that is an oil company essentially and it has they had all these different oil rigs out in the ocean all across the earth and there's like links to little products along the way that are you know repeat themselves in other parts of JJ Abrams's stuff like Slusho which is this Japanese drink. And the whole story is really fascinating the way that like all the dots got revealed because it started with a website, but if you started to dig into the website, you would uncover information and you could uncover the fact that if you were to order so on this website actually for Cloverfield, Slusho at one point had an active website where you could buy a t-shirt And if you bought a t-shirt you actually got it and it came with a letter from a person in the universe that was telling you about something that was amiss at one of these oil rig stations and like it was a piece of the puzzle that you got if you were to order the shirt and like it just starts connecting these dots one two three and it gets really intricate but when you step back and you see this whole picture of prequel material, it's incredible. Like some a guy went missing and you start to learn that like this uh, Chui whatever it is, rig that's in the Atlantic isn't really there because there is no oil. It was a lie. There's something there. There's a video of a guy, you know, like a, a an explosion where the rig is like falling into the water and there's a briefest shot of projectiles coming up out of the water, like, that wouldn't happen in a sort of, like, they wouldn't shoot straight up in the air like bullets, a bunch of, like, oil booms or whatever. And so there's, like, these little details. that You're like, oh, well, there's something under there, clearly that's throwing them up. And it's just so intricate and so detailed. And it's amazing to me, Patrick, because who has the mind to, like, put the puzzle together and then take it apart in pieces and distribute it backwards in a way that can be discovered interestingly to where it is just enough that it does come together ultimately into that final version. It's really a talent that I I don't think a lot of people have. Uh, And I don't think that there's a ton of value in it. You know, I don't, It's hard to like put a number on it and say, well, how much did the viral marketing of this movie, like the AR part that I'm talking about, help? Probably not a lot. It just helps to create a cult following of your movie. People who are obsessive over it because of it being so unique and special. The actual part that really helped them was trying to be intentional about not showing things in their trailer. And Man, it's funny because I actually just tweeted out this past week about Matt Reeves's next movie. How I'm sick and tired of the marketing because the Batman is just—it's nonstop every week. There's a new teaser and new posters and new clips, and and like I am like I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear any of it. Like, just stop, stop showing me all this stuff. But Cloverfield—they all agreed like they wanted to go the opposite route, and so the initial teaser for this movie it popped up in front of a transformers movie which is perfect and it was like two minutes of the party and then ultimately just the destruction shot of the statue of liberty's head getting knocked off right and thrown but there's no understanding of what a monster might be what the plot of it was going to be how it was going to shake out it's just so bare bones there wasn't even a title and they did it on a short timeline. That was the other thing is I think it came out six months. That's right. Cause it transformers came out in 2007 in the summer and this movie was coming out like six months later and they didn't like, that's not how it works these days. You know, it's a year out that we are getting very detailed information. And then less than a year out, we're getting full trailers and they're giving us all of the parts of the movie. This one just didn't do that. It, you really had to kind of take a guess and take a take a leap of faith with them, and it pays off, and it's just not something we get to see anymore, which is really sad because they prove that it works, and the audience has ate it up. Of course, you know, maybe the flip side of that is they kind of tried to capture that magic again, both with Tin Cloverfield Lane, but not the marketing as much, but Tin Chlorophyll Lane did capture it like from a success standpoint, obviously. Episode 22 of our podcast, if you want to check it out. And God Particle renamed slash the Cloverfield Paradox is where it really failed because they tried to kind of be secretive about it, but it kept getting delayed and name changed. And ultimately they, they dropped that teaser during the Super Bowl, if you remember. And we were like, what? Oh my gosh, it's like coming... Tonight, or I mean, it was, it was like that night or the next day or something. It was insane. It was that night.
0: Yeah. Netflix yeah. And I was like, and- well, I guess
1: I'm saying up because we were so hyped for it. And then the movie sucked and it was such a letdown. But if you can imagine, right, that same style of marketing. So if you think about it, and you go, okay, what if that movie had been Cloverfield as far as quality goes, that would have been something we would talk about forever as well. Do you remember right. that day that they finally ta- released Cloverfield and that night it was available on Netflix and it was like a five star monster movie sequel or sci-fi movie? Like mm-hmm. it would be legendary in the same way that the other two have. So I understand why they tried it, but it's just so hard. Like I said, it's lightning in a bottle. And I don't think it's something you can just perfectly replicate over and over. But I think there is a craving for it amongst audiences and it's what makes this movie so special it's like Blair Witch project patrick mm-hmm. i evaluate that whole process it's not just the movie itself it's not just is it a good narrative experience to watch it from a to b it's the marketing around it it's the psychoanalysis and belief of it being real it's my feelings that i took away from it and how it affected me in my own you know fear for days on end things like that like that's that whole package that makes something truly like stand out as one of a kind and that's what cloverfield did
0: yeah and the marketing campaign it still lives today it's just packaged differently in the form of franchise high-end tv shows marvel has essentially oh, taken yes. this over This is what it is and it's kind of frustrating because it's for me accomplishing the opposite effect of what a tie in marketing blitz does for a movie or a TV show. I can absolutely enjoy Jurassic world and I can absolutely enjoy lost or fringe or planet of the apes without having all this stuff that other stuff is just bonus because it helps enhance my experience. Now I'm going to watch black widow and there's a little thing that happens in the show or in the movie. And I'm like, wait, what's that about? Oh, you have to watch the first five episodes of Falcon and winter soldier to really get that. And then you watch those first five episodes and something happens in there. Like, yeah, if you watch Spider-Man that pays itself off. So the effect is still the same. You're trying to get people, to connect on a broader scale to appreciate the product. And what Marvel does successfully is they just create really good content. I mean, we can probably agree that there's not really a bad seed in the Marvel universe. The Eternals probably has the most criticism, but even some of the stuff that I've seen from people that don't like it say it's got some redeeming qualities, it's not terrible. So I think this next level or this sort of expansion of that ideology to get your fans to connect more with your property, this is the way you do it. You just create more content that's accessible and you don't have to solve a mystery. Even though there's a lot of fun in that, it's not as creatively involved. So you don't have to have that creative team that says, okay, we have to create the solution And then work backwards to put the pieces all over the internet for people to discover. While that's great, you're not going to get a lot of people who are going to put that effort in. And so now what we get are spoon fed kinds of connectivity where you watch movie A and movie A hints to TV show B, which connects back to TV show A, which connects back to movie C, but you're not necessarily having to watch all those things although you're encouraged to so yeah i I think it's still around it's just kind of in a different package and for my taste i don't want that because we live in a world aaron where there's so much content you and i were talking about this the amount of streaming television behind the paywall that exists now or that will exist by the end of this year is insane it seems like the plus streaming services because everything's pretty much named something plus
1: plus or Um, max yeah
0: plus or max you've got so many properties and so many things that are releasing that i almost wonder if there's just an overload it's just like with spotify there's so much content out there less Joni mitchell and neil young apparently that you have these all this access to stuff that you almost go no nope, i've got to be more selective and so i think in this day and age if you create a property and you put a treasure hunt around it you're not going to get a lot of interest because there's already so much stuff that is going to vie for your attention so if i'm a creator well that would be fun i'm not going to spend my wheels trying to do that because i know it's not going to get a lot of of attention from people because next week they're just going to watch the next big thing so Even if tomorrow you release the perfect Cloverfield sequel, nobody's going to care two weeks from now if there's 14 websites dedicated to some of the mythology around it. They're going to be like, when's the next Marvel movie coming out? Or when's, you know, I'm still waiting for my Top Gun or I'm ready for Mission Impossible because that's what we are. We're consumers. And I don't want that from my original IPs. I don't want that. I want people to enjoy the Cloverfields out there, the, the 10 Cloverfield Lane cloverfield lanes i want people to sit and go enjoy this unfortunately we live in that fast paced world where you go into the theater you fall in love with the movie or you don't and then you go to another one or you queue up your tv show later that night because
1: that's who we are so
0: unfortunately we don't get that
1: that's a very good point and this was made at the turn of when all of that was happening in fact the characters, part of that viral marketing, they all had their own MySpace pages and interacted with each other on MySpace as if it was before the events of the movie took place. Obviously this was right before Facebook took over and social media started to truly trend and change and we've shifted. I mean, that was the end of an era. And now it is. It's so overwhelmed content wise that you don't get that. I was talking to you today about how much I love this experience, just getting ready for this podcast and how it's not replicable every single week. Can't be this perfect of a scenario, but getting the opportunity to, we decided on this movie. I was like, okay, I really wanted to buy the 4K. This is a perfect chance for me to do that. Found a copy of it. It was on sale. Rushed out, grabbed it that day, brought it home was able to watch the movie, was able to watch the director's commentary, was able to consume all of the special features. Then I went and watched that YouTube video. Like I poured a lot of time into this. Now I'm gonna turn around and be a consumer tomorrow, but it's more attention than I give 90% of the things that I watch and having this conversation about it. And it's special, it's extra exciting because of that. And it has more lasting value in my brain. And it carves out a little bit of extra space, you know, compared to the vast majority that you're talking about, which is just in one ear, in my eyes and right out the back the next time around. And so it is a love-hate relationship. I mean, I I like what Marvel is doing. I think that it's brilliant as far as creation-wise. I think that that part, and I know that you would agree, but just the the way that they have crafted it is incredible. The amount of Easter eggs and stuff for people to pour over. But there is so much of just their content that their content alone becomes what many many people—that's their entire entertainment Mm -hmm. budget mentally for a year—is just the Marvel content that they can take in. Because whereas that might have been split up over some original stuff like a Cloverfield or you know even like a a Top Gun or something, Yeah. yeah, yeah, like all they have room for because of how much that they actually consume on a yearly basis. It's all the Marvel stuff. Cause there's always a TV show right around the corner leading into a new movie four movies, three TV shows every year, whatever the case is, there's plenty. You could just live off of that. And so it's, you know, it's awesome if you're into that as you know, for that reason, but it's hard for, if you want to, it's hard if you want to be able to consume that, but do all the other stuff because you have to make a choice. That's where you're at because you have limited time and so you struggle To pour all of that time into Marvel, you would enjoy it. And I know you know that. Like, you would like it. But is it worth giving up the other 10, 15 things and the three or four, like, blow your mind discoveries like a Sing Street and things like that? No, it's not. And so it's just a sad place we live in. So, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, stuff like this is just not going to happen very much. Yeah. anymore. But, um but I'm glad we got this when we did.
0: Yeah, and the fact is we just have to think less about FOMO and more about enjoy what you love. There's a friend of mine that I work with and he'll pop into my office and he'll ask me about the latest movie that I've seen and then we'll talk about Marvel stuff. There's this ongoing joke that apparently I hate Spider-Man, which is obviously untrue, but it it makes for a for a fun conversation and we're always talking about on the movie level the great Marvel stuff or, or what's what's coming out. But he has fully admitted that he's all in when it comes to Marvel stuff. And on the movie and TV show side, like he's not into the comics, which is a whole other different thing, by the way. But it's hard because I want to recommend quality television and quality movies like Coda and say, this would be one that I would definitely recommend. And so when he asked me, what's worth seeing? I said, well, <laughs> you've got this, this, and this, none of which have the word Marvel in front of them, or DC or Sony. And unfortunately, not a lot of people get excited about that. Like I would recommend, you know this, I would recommend seeing Street to anybody, anytime, anyplace. But are people really going to appreciate it on the level that I do? Probably not, and I'm okay with that. But when you have such a crowded space of movies, and as you said so brilliantly, you only have so much time and so much really entertainment space in your brain to appreciate it. You got to make choices. And so property like Marvel has basically said you're either all in or you're not and in a, in a, in some ways it's kind of like Apple as a product where you're either in the ecosystem where everything works completely perfectly and nothing outside of that works at all. I think Marvel has sort of done that as a property. They say, look, you're either going to dedicate most of your life to enjoying Marvel movies and TV series, and we're going to give you the best that we have. But if you don't, you're really not going to appreciate it to the fullest, and you might want to just go ahead and be that casual fan who occasionally picks up Thor or checks out the latest Marvel TV show in and of itself. Star Wars, I think, can be that same way, although yep. I think that's probably, well, that's 10 times bigger, but probably not as popular. I won't say popular with the mainstream as, as Marvel is. And so, yeah, for my money, I'd rather just stay away from the behemoth as much as I can. I will say this though, the Jurassic world franchise or the Jurassic franchise, I'm all in camp Cretaceous, Jurassic park, lost world, maybe even Jurassic park three and no fallen kingdom. I can't do it. I just can't do that. But (laughs) I'm excited about dominion and it's just, we've talked about this before. Is, is it a pretty solid franchise top to bottom? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's got a couple of duds, but it's got a great TV series in Camp Cretaceous that I think if they do it right, will tie in nicely with the upcoming movie. So I can get behind that. Plus it's only like what, five or six movies as opposed to like 10 or 12 or 15 plus 18,000 TV shows. So yay, Jurassic. Let's, let's do that. Sort of. All right. Well, that's going to do it what? what's that so it's sort of a you monster tie
1: on. in there i mean if you're talking you know yeah. dinosaurs and clover do you want yeah. more well do you want a traditional sequel to this movie though that's one question i have like we have tin cloverfield lane which is tangential we have the cloverfield paradox which is tangential if
0: mm-hmm. not
1: you know somewhat maybe directly linked all of them in different ways but like they you're not getting a clover the monster on a rampage again. But like, would you want an actual straight up sequel?
0: Not this late, not this far removed from the original. Agreed. I think it would have been interesting maybe two or three years later. And as a tangent, why would you use that big word? I can't say it's not that big as a as a tangent. I can't do it now. (laughs) I'm (laughs) not
1: taking this out, so you better get it right.
0: Dang it. As a movie that's adjacent to its (laughs) original. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> 10 cloverfield lane is fantastic if you don't try to tie it in apart from the word clover field <laughs> so i think i'm happy with that and anything that would try to tie back into it i think would just feel wasted i know that back in january abrams and reeves or maybe abrams and goddard were looking at writing a direct sequel but I'm happy with what I got and I think the intent of the movie was played out really well so there's no real reason to continue that story. I think all the mystery behind it and the fan service, the fan theories, I think that's enough to give me my Cloverfield mythology that surrounds it along with the marketing. I'd love to go back to those websites or go to MySpace as it existed. Maybe the Wayback Machine has that but no. For me, I'm good with where it is
1: right now and we'll leave it there same i would agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said
0: well that's going to do it for us on this edition of feelin film we hope you've enjoyed the conversation and we want you to come back next week as we go all in on the mystery death on the nile we're going to be visiting a great cast of people including a supporting role by Kenneth Branagh's mustache as he plays Hercule Poirot. Poirot. I'm going to be able to figure out how to say words next week, hopefully. If not, Aaron, you're going to lead this one. I'm going to be like, yep, I agree. Or no, I don't agree. And I'll keep my words to two syllables or less. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say that T word. I'm not going to try it. So anyway, come back. Enjoy that conversation as we will be bringing that to you. In the meantime, stay safe. Thank you guys for all you do to listen and support the show. Aaron, thanks for a great conversation, and we'll talk soon.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you.
0: We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way.
1: If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at feelin Film or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat.
0: And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you.
1: Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive
0: and keep feeling film.